Welcome to the Run for PRs podcast. This is your host, Victoria Philippi. The Run for PRs podcast was created to give away the secrets to transform your training to reach your goals. We ask all the expert run coaches and athletes the questions that you've been dying to know the answers to. We will get the inside scoop on what really makes you the best athlete that you can be. Have you ever seen a fast runner and wonder, wow, how did they get so fast? Well, then this podcast is for you. We are going to do a deep dive to reveal the secrets to reaching your potential as a runner. Besides training, these tips will help you run your fastest race. We chat a lot about all the training leading up to your races and how you can run your fastest times from a training perspective, like what workouts to do, what workouts to avoid. But is there anything that you can do besides training that will give you that extra edge on race day and run your fastest times without actually having to put in extra work? (laughs) We're going to do a deep dive into the tips and tricks that we have used and we recommend as coaches to run your fastest times without necessarily doing any extra work. And yes, everything we're going to be talking about on this podcast is completely legal. (laughs) So we're going to be giving a little bit of secrets away. Um, The number one thing, I guess, is just planning accordingly. And today I have with me Coach Jason Philippi, who is a college cross-country and track coach at the D3 level. And he's here to kick off a call um, with us to talk about these tips So Jason, what um, are some of the things that you've started using in recent years that have helped enhance your performance? And were any of these things around when you were just starting your running journey? Or like, how has it progressed in the last like two decades, the things that are out there um, for runners to do to, you know, get faster? And I know like a lot of people listening are like, what are they even talking about? So I guess, you know, just to throw some ideas out there for the rest of this podcast, we're going to talk a little bit about like the 4% shoes and the shoes that, you know, make you faster, um, GPS, Garmin watches, those sort of things. And then also races that are, you know, ran on downhill courses or have a lot of competition. So I guess I'll kick it off with Jason. Um, When did you start realizing that there were other things you could do besides training and have they kind of increased in the last like decade or so? Well, you know, thinking back to being a college athlete, we'd always race in spikes. And so, you know, you you wanted to have the, the best footwear possible on race day so that that gave you the extra advantage to run faster. Um, and that, that went for track or cross country. And so when you get to the road races, um, you wanted something lighter on your feet as well. And so that's kind of where the racing flat phenomenon kind of came um, many years ago. And that's kind of what I started with probably in about 2010 when I started doing road races was, you know, you have your regular trainers, but then you also have a pair of racing flats, which are basically like a nice um, – basically more minimal shoe without all of the support and um, something that's going to help you just kind of be more up on your the forefoot of your, of your foot when you're running. So, um, you know, at the time, I, I think the Nike Streak was one of those those shoes that I wore. Um, and then as of recently, like Victoria mentioned, the 4% have come out and some other um, competitor type shoes. So I think that definitely investing in a pair of shoes that you can wear for a couple faster workouts. So you're used to it, but then definitely on race day can help you feel, cause it's not just about the physical benefits, but it's more about the mental, like feeling like you're fit, feeling like you're confident in your ability to be able to run faster. Um, and having some lighter weight shoes on can help you feel that way. 
Right. Yeah. There's definitely a lot of new shoes on the market, you know, specifically like the 4% and the next percents, which are super popular. Um, and, you know, with the Olympic trials qualifier window closing, just you know, this past weekend with the Houston Marathon, um, I think the last, you know, two years or, uh, yeah, about two years now, the, those Nike, um, carbon plated shoes have been on the market and they've been really, you know, you hear everyone say that they've been enhancing everyone's performance. Um, you know, not exactly the 5% that everyone's talking about or the 4%, but enough where, you know, we're seeing world records get broken. You know, we saw it at the Chicago marathon this year, our very old, uh, marathon world record got broken, but on the women's side. And then we had, you know, Kipchoge who wore his, um, special shoes, you know, to break the two hour barrier earlier this year. So I think like the just the shoe portion and the technology have improved so much. I mean, if you look back at, you know, people like Roger Bannister, I, I don't even know when that was. Do you know off the top of your head, like when, how many years ago was that? I mean, it had to 40 be. 40 or 50. At least. Um, I think it was, you know, back in the 50s or 40s. Unsure. We didn't really research this. I wasn't planning on bringing it up. But back then, um, the shoes and the technology was so, like, underdeveloped that, you know, they do um, translation times for, like, what he should have ran, you know, if he had today's technologies and all that stuff. And it's just amazing to see um, the improvements, not only in the technology, but in the performances across the world when people have better technology um, and better, you know, shoes, they're able to run faster. And I think the 4% do make a really big difference. Um, I purchased my first pair uh, back in October 2018 thinking, you know, it's just a lot of hype. I was like, these shoes don't actually, you know, do anything. I You hear stuff and then you get curious and I thought, might as well try them on, go to the store. And so before the 4%, I think it was like the Nike Vaporfly, they have the same sort of like spongy foam, but they don't have the carbon plate. So I got like the lower version first and I did a couple of runs in them and I just thought, geez, am I faster in these shoes or is it just me? Uh, I went back to the store, then bought the the 4% and like, it was, I'm very consistent. I've been running for almost a decade now, um, pretty competitively, like doing the same sort of workouts. I, I know my body. And like when I put those shoes on, it's no joke, like um, 10 to 15, 20 seconds per mile faster, um, which was crazy for me just because I knew what shape I was in. And then boom, you put on the shoes and it was like next level. And yeah, like 10 seconds per mile, it's nothing like super huge. But when you're you know, just trying to reach that next level, like any little bit made huge difference. Um, so I think the shoes for me personally were extremely effective. And I think one of the things that technology does is prevent your ankle from like, I don't know, I, like rotating a certain way. So it just like makes you more efficient. Um, so maybe like, I just have like this really bad inefficiency in my ankles that the shoe really helps to correct. Um, but Jason, like, what was your experience? When did you get the four percent or the next percent for the first time? What's your experience with them? Um, I'd love to hear. Um, it wasn't too terribly long ago. I'm probably within the last two years. Um, and it was the the bright orange four percent shoes. But for me, like I was a little, I wasn't quite as as high on them as Victoria. I knew that I felt fast in them, and I think that that's that's the number one key. Though, is you know, it goes back to feeling confident, right? And and then if you believe it, then you can achieve it. So. For me, it was more like, okay, I feel pretty good, 
but they're they're a little bit spongy. But once you get used to that and you really you notice like how versatile they are. So I could do speed, like all out speed in them. I think I ran a, a one mile race in them before. And I've also run a marathon in them. So they're good for any distance. Um I really like them for anywhere, you know, five K to ten mile. Um I think that's that's the prime distance for me. Uh what I noticed in the longer races is I when I'd sweat a lot, I'd start to just hear the squeech happening later on in the in the miles. But I definitely like the four percents and they're my go-to shoe now. I kind of rotate between those and the next percents. Um, and uh, yeah, so I definitely think having, you know, if you're not going to invest in those, but researching what other shoes out there, you know, maybe like a certain brand. I know that other brands have, you know, Adidas has a good racing flat shoe and I've worn them in the past, um, you know, part of the Boost series. And it's more about putting something on that feels good for your foot and feels good when you're stride and your gait and when you're running and hopefully... Um, that translates over to fast times on race day. Yeah, I really love how you brought up. It's all about how you feel. Because, I mean, going back to when I first got those shoes, October 2018, it was also simultaneously the same time where the temperatures were dropping and it was starting to get cold. So it's like, it's hard to pinpoint, like, was it the shoes or was it the weather? Because I had been doing workouts all summer long, just, like, crushing it. And then, boom, like, was it the fall effect? I'm not sure. All I can tell you is when I put those shoes on, I just like my confidence goes from like here mm-hmm. to like boom. And then it's just it's it makes you feel like all right, it's time to race. And I think like you said, going back to when you were in middle school, high school, you put on those uh, those spikes, spikes and right. you'd be like, yeah, it's race day. I got my spikes on. Mm-hmm. And like, did it help you or not? We don't know. But like the placebo effect of like having a pair of shoes that you only wear when you're going to run fast is like insane and even like I have certain shorts I only wear like I'm doing like a fast workout like it's just weird and a lot of people have commented because I didn't even know I did this a lot of people would comment on my pictures and be like why do you always wear those purple shorts I'm like I don't know uh I, I never thought about that but it's like subconsciously my brain wants to wear like these specific like purple shorts or the blue shorts whenever I'm doing a fast workout, which is funny. And I think Jason has something similar well, that he does. You've experienced good, you know, races with those and you know that you can count on them. They're not going to cause <laughs> chafing or anything like that. And it's kind of the same for singlets too. Like we kind of know what, what feels good, what feels maybe a little bit tight and restrictive and, you know, and yeah, I think a lot of it is the subconscious effect of just like remembering, oh, I ran this race in them and that race went pretty well. So I'm going to give it a shot again. And then all of a sudden that race goes well. And so I think, yeah, there's... That has a lot to do with it. I feel like we're almost acting like we're superstitious. You know, you always hear about, like, yeah. baseball players. They do these, like, weird things before the game. And maybe this is, like, kind of touching in on that. But I think more so it's just having an outfit that separates you, like, from, like, regular Joe to race day. Um, I think that's huge. And I know, you know, at the college level, all of Jason's athletes, it's like they show up to practice in their little T-shirts and their shorts. And then when it comes time to race, like you're putting on those spanks, those spandex, and you're putting on that singlet and the singlet like represents like I'm going out to race. And I think, you know, as you get older, like moving into the marathon crowd, I think sometimes like we don't have those same, you know, uniforms or we don't have anything that's like our race day thing. But I think that's super important. And for me, like being a marathon road racer, whatever, um, I like to have certain clothes, not only just like for race day, but I'll also wear them um, for fast workouts. So it's just something that like, I know I'm going to run fast if I wear a certain thing or like I reserve certain outfits or like certain (laughs) things for running fast. And 
I do think there is something to be said about the confidence boost that you can get from wearing a certain thing and signifying to yourself like, these are my fast clothes, these are my fast shoes, I'm doing my workout. And even before the 4%, kind of like you said, we don't want to say like, you have to get the 4% to be faster. Um, I do think that they are the best shoe on the market uh, for mar- or for any you know distance. I think they're going to be the fastest shoe if they feel comfortable on you. Um, there's a reason why you look at the major marathons ran this year and it's a sea of, you know, those bright neon shoes, those Nikes, those are all the 4% or the next percents um, that they were wearing. And there's a reason why most of the elites wear them um, just because they, they are a really good shoe. And I think, you know, you're, you're going to get the best results wearing those shoes. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I I agree. But it's about, you know, when you try on the shoe and you kind of run in it, does it feel right for you? Do you, do you like the way it makes you feel? Because... If you do, like she said, it probably will be the best fit. But if it if something doesn't feel right or feels off, then maybe try a different brand. Right. And I've heard a lot of people like with the pushback of the price point and everything, mm-hmm. it's like, yeah, I get it. Like they're expensive. They're very expensive, probably twice the cost of a regular mm-hmm. shoe. 250 bucks, not a cheap shoe by any means. But I look at it from the perspective of, okay, if you're signed up for like the Chicago Marathon, I'm not sure how much it costs, but I know the Boston Marathon this year was like 180 bucks. Um that's just the race entry fee. So, I mean, you got to think of it as a sport of running. It's generally like a lower cost sport. Uh, We're not talking golf. We're not talking (laughs) hockey. This isn't the triathlon, right? Like triathletes will spend $10,000 on a bicycle. Like we're just talking about buying a pair of shoes for 250 bucks. Um, And I think depending on how into the sport you are, like, (coughs) excuse me, it can be you know, a good investment. Um, if it's something that you like to do mm-hmm. and you want to feel confident on race day, like what's an extra hundred bucks when you were already going to spend 150 on a pair of shoes. Right. So that's just my, my sense on it. Um, if you don't like them, let's say you try them on, you're like, these suck. Um, I've heard that feedback before, uh, very rarely, but by like one person I know, uh, didn't like them. So she just doesn't wear them. Um, but there's other shoes on the market that can make you feel fast. I know before they ever came out, like I would have specific shoes that I would wear on race day. Like what are some that you've worn over the years? Oh man. I, my mind is like blanking on the actual names of the shoe. I, I remember for when I ran my 5k PR and back in like 2010 on the road, that was the Nike streak. I want to say. And then for a while I went to like a sock and flat, but I don't know what, what the name of it is. Um, and then over the years, I'd tried the Adidas Boost series as well. So I've kind of, I did the Boston or the Adios, I think it is. So those are, those were some lighter flat um, type of racing flat shoes that I've worn. Right. Yeah. There's, there's so many on the market. Go into your local running shoe store, mm-hmm. anything that's like lightweight and makes you feel fast. Um, those are going to be good ones. You can always try doing a workout in it first just to make sure it's like a good mm-hmm. shoe for you. But I like to reserve like my racing flats for only like some of my workouts or all of my workouts, whatever, just depending on what you want to do. And then um, just keep, you know, my regular shoes for my easy days, long runs, mm-hmm. all that stuff. Um, so I guess we talked a little bit about shoes, reserving certain outfits for like your fast days and your race days. But I think another thing we need to talk about is planning accordingly. So it's January this is the beginning of the year. You have the whole calendar laid out before you for <clears throat> races and what you can be doing for the year. Um, how do you pick races that are going to be fast? 
Yeah, I think when you lay out your calendar for the year, and you know, I do this for myself. I obviously, I do this for the athletes I coach with Run for PRs, and then also the college level athletes. It's nice to have the whole calendar, so you're looking not just at the immediate few weeks or a month or two, but really looking deep into the year. So you're planning out your big races. Maybe you're gonna run a marathon in the fall. Maybe you're just going to focus on two halves, whatever it is, um, a couple 5Ks sprinkled in throughout the year. But for me, it's planning, targeting certain races and thinking, like, where do I want to be by this point? And what's kind of my A race? Maybe maybe you have a lot of A races, but maybe your, your goals at each of these races are going to be different because you're expecting your progress to improve as the year goes on. And that's, that's kind of how I am. So I, we, we have what's called the circuit here in Minnesota, um, which is basically a series of races. And you have you got to do four if you're going to join a team in order to get sponsored by that team. So um, you basically are going to sign up for four of the races, and they're any distance between a mile up to the marathon. So I'll probably do an 8K and a couple 5Ks in there. But, um, you know, I, I want to do well at all those. I'd consider them all A races, but the 5K I run in May is probably not going to be the same time that I run in July. At least I'm hoping I can run faster in July after two more months of training. So when you're planning accordingly, you're really looking at, um, you know, the type of training, the type of workouts. And again, that's where having the coach and someone to d- develop your plan comes into play is setting you up for success at these races and kind of having in your mind, um, you know, checkpoints along the way that will kind of prove that you're on track to meeting these goals at these races. So, um, for me, an example might be, you know, I'm trying to break 17 at Brian craft 5k in May. And then a, a couple months later, I'm trying to run like closer to 16, 40, 16, 30. So about a 20 to 25 second jump. Um, that's an example of what it would look like for me if I'm looking at, um, you know, my 5k race calendar for the year. So kind of helping athletes come up with the same, the same goals as well. So yeah, one of the things I like to look at, um, there's been a lot of invention recently of races that are, you know, downhill or like net downhill. Um, there's faster courses around, I think, than, mm-hmm. you know, 50 years ago. There weren't a lot of options out there. But in recent years, you know, we have races like the Revel Series, um, where you run down a mountain. Everyone has their own opinions mm-hmm. on these sort of downhill races, and I kind of feel like a little weird talking about this because not a lot of people do talk about it, but I'm going to bring it up. Uh, you know, if you're running down a mountain, and these all these Revel races, I'm telling you, they are Boston qualifiers. So you run... 4,000, 5,000 feet down a mountain, um, that's going to qualify you for Boston. Uh, that's that's going to be a lot easier to run down a mountain than it would on, you know, let's say, of course, like the New York Marathon or the Boston Marathon. Um, running downhill is easier than running on rolling hills or on a flat course. Um, so anytime you're, if you look at like the profile of an elevation map of a course and you see just like a huge downhill slide that's gonna be a fast course like you're gonna run fast and so I always think if I'm gonna put all my eggs in a basket and run a race right like a half or a full why would I run (laughs) like if I'm trying to run the fastest time possible why would I run a hilly course when I could run a downhill course and I know like everyone has their own opinions on downhill courses and I've never 
I've never done like a rebel race. I've never done anything that's more than, I don't know, like CIM people say is a downhill course, but it's not. I, I've never done anything like super drastic downhill, but I, I will not do uh, hilly courses and go for a PR just because right. for me personally, I've, I'm at a level where it's like I have to work a six-month training cycle to shave like maybe a couple minutes off my marathon time and in a marathon you know something goes wrong you can easily be saying goodbye to any pr um you know because every second counts so i like to go after courses that are going to be fast and everyone has their own opinion on like what they feel is acceptable i know in the running community there's been a little bit of flack that these downhill courses have caused you know everyone has their opinion on it uh, especially I think people have opinions on it because you're going 5,000 feet downhill and you qualify for Boston. I think that's why people are like, whoa, is that fair? It's like, well, it's fair until they say it's not. So <laughs> if I was you and I wanted to qualify for Boston and I've never done it before, honestly, I would sign up for one of those. But you don't want to pick one that starts too high up. So that's that's another factor with these rebel races. I've done my scanning. Like, I'm a run coach, right? Like, I look at this stuff. <laughs> and, like, the one in Colorado, I don't suggest doing unless you're used to altitude already because it starts at, like, 13,000 feet elevation, which some people can, like, experience altitude sickness if you go, like, too extreme. So, you know, they're driving you up to that mountaintop. It's hard to breathe up there, right? So it's almost like a, a net negative at that point. So, you want to pick a different one that's maybe only starting at like 6,000 feet up there. So one that really caught my eye, um, and I'm not associated with any of these races, by the way, but I just like to talk about them. Uh, the one in June in um, Oregon, I think it is. Yeah, I think there's a couple now. They they change every year where they're having these races. They keep adding more because they're I so popular. in Portland coming up. I don't know if they're doing the one in... Uh, in uh seattle suburb of seattle anymore the oh. jack and jill donald so no gonna, jack and jill is not related to oh, rebel it's not okay there's gonna be one in portland i think for rebel right well it's, i don't know if it's in portland but there's one in oregon and yeah. um that one's fast uh because it doesn't go up as high so you're not dealing with like the negative effects of altitude because obviously many listeners know that you know if you're going to colorado and you're you're running at altitude like you're gonna run slower so, you know, starting at 7,000 feet elevation and then like dropping down to like 2,000 feet elevation, that's going to be, you know, more advantageous. So I, I think that one in June out in Oregon is really good. Um, basically, any of them, you can bet they're going to be pretty, pretty fast. Uh, but with that being said, some people, you know, some people are really good at downhill running and it doesn't have, like have any negative effects. Like they can run super fast. Other people... They're not going to run as fast downhill. Um, just depends on if you're more like a quad dominant runner or not. Um, most most runners are more quad dominant, so just things to keep in mind. Um, but also, you know, if you're not for the downhill courses, which you know I I've never done one. <clears throat> I don't know how I feel because I don't know like how I would feel if you know I ran a super fast time downhill. Like, would I have to put like an asterisk by it for the rest of my life and be like, well, but I ran down a mountain. Um, I don't know. So <clears throat> there's other options out there besides downhill. There's like flat courses. Um, and so when I look, I recommend going to like findmymarathon.com and you can check like pretty much any marathon that's ever exist in the U S or Canada. 
and just look at the elevation profile and study that thing. Mm-hmm. Um, if it looks like there's a few hills, I just, I don't do it. Like, I, I just look for a pancake flat. I look at, like, the PR score. that will tell you, like, how fast they think um, the race is. Anything that's not, like, 99%, why bother? Yeah. But that's just me. I don't know. Some people, they're, like, this is a little extreme, but... If I'm trying to get, like, every little edge, every little, like, thing I can to, like, run the fastest time possible, those are the things I'm looking at, which might sound a little silly. Um, but I guess, like, for anyone listening in Minneapolis, what would you recommend as, like, the fastest races that you could do in Minneapolis, you know, between, like, the one mile and the half or whatever, or the full? Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, if we're talking short races yeah. in Minneapolis, I'd say... You know, there's not many opportunities around the mile, so you probably are stuck with TC one mile. But um, for 5K, there's definitely one in May called the Brian Craft around Lake Nokomis, flat as a pancake. Mm. Um, Torchlight, they kind of change the course every year in July, so you never know. Don't but for the most part, it's it's good competition. Um, the only thing is it can be really hot, so that's the one in July. It's usually fast, though. Um, what else do we have? I think the getting yeah. gear is usually pretty fast. Um, grandma's versus Twin Cities Marathon. Well... I the course is faster at Grandma's. You just have to be a little uh, prepared for the heat if it is warm and kind of the later start for the marathon. The half is always great up at Grandma's because you're starting at six fifteen in the morning, so it's never an issue. But um, what about the fastest half, like City of Lakes? Or oh, probably Monster. probably Monster Dash in the fall because it's it's slightly downhill along the river. City of Lakes, you're going to go up the hill twice to Harriet at least two or three times actually. Oh, no. So <laughs> yeah, I mean it just. Looking at, like Victoria said, the course elevation, what I like to do too is because sometimes it's hard to read those things and um, I look for total gain, but I also will like just look on message boards because then you're getting real people's opinions on on who have ran the races before, especially if you're thinking about doing a half or a full at destination somewhere. Definitely get online, just Google, look at message boards, find out what other people are saying about it, read the reviews because that's not going to lie. And if, if other people are thinking that it's hilly, then there's a good chance you might too or vice versa. If people think it's a really well-run race, um, it's super flat, you know, it's not very windy, temps are always cool, then that might be a race you want to look into. So, Right, yeah. And I guess it's important to remember, you know, we're saying all these things. We're saying, like, what to avoid. Like, avoid hilly races. But the only reason we're saying this is if you're trying to run to your potential, if you're trying to run the fastest time possible, these are the tips we're giving you. Um, That's not to say, like, I've done races where it's, like, a very, very difficult course. Um, like I know that some people like that just because the camaraderie or they want to run the race or it's the only option or just like a series of reasons why you might run or run it. But just knowing that like that might not be in line with what could be the best possible outcome for you. So I always am like, what are the things that are going to make me the fastest? Like if I'm really going for a time, you know, if I'm really trying to like get to that, um, other, other races, most races aren't going to be flat. You know, most races are going to have hills. So just keeping those things in mind. Um, I do hilly races from time to time. I used to do a lot more back in the day, but a lot of the times I race now just from time constraint purposes I just like don't have time to do all the races so I'm more selective and I try to go for like performance um, outcomes on these races but I guess another factor to look at you know we talked about trying to find the flattest uh, least hilly what about competition and I think this will take people by surprise with our answer here um so Jason and I are we're neither one of us are elite runners by the formal definition 
um, very far from anywhere even near like a professional runner. We're just weekend warriors, I guess you would call us. Um, some people would be shocked that we just classified ourselves as that. Uh, Jason's half PR is like one one thirteen, um, so about like five thirty five per mile. My half PR is about one twenty eight. Whoa, whoa one twenty seven. Um, so about like a six thirty nine per mile. Um, so those are just, that's just not elite. So we, I mean, it's fast. So basically we have two decisions anytime we can race, Jason and I, it's, um, are we going to go to a race where it's competitive and there's people to run with, like we're not going to win the race or are we going to pick a small race where we could win it outright? No problem. Um, what is going to be the best for us performance wise and why? Um, yeah, I think we, you know, we've both done our fair share of races where we've gone to and we won. And if you probably study the times from those races, they're nowhere near like our PRs. Um, that's just the reality is you're not going to run, you know, to your maximum potential when you're alone. It's just, it's hard. It becomes a time trial at that point. So when you have people to run with, you know, you're thinking about, you know, can I hang with this person? When should I make a move on them? Can I, can they, can I let them carry me till this point in the race? And then I try to outkick them. And so there's all these other factors. And I think just having other people around you helps, helps your mind stay present in the race, helps you stay committed to reaching your goals. Um, if you're in first place and you're starting to slow down, you're more likely to just kind of say, well, I have this wrapped up anyway, so who cares about my time? But when you're in a race where you're not going to place you're really just focused on, on time and being competitive. That's really when you're going to have your top performance. Um, and, you know, it's interesting. We have a couple of kids. This, we're running a race tomorrow, indoor track. Um, and the heat sheets came out today. And I was telling kids, like, I do not care about the time. Um, I have a kid who is seated first in his heat. Um, he's tied for first. And I said, well, our goal is going to be to win because we're going to run just for the competitive aspect. I don't care if you win with a time that's three seconds slower than what your seed time is. It's, it's mainly about are you competing? And then over time, what that does is it creates, you know, mental toughness and gives you confidence and, and it'll just make things easier for you to reach your potential down the road. So, right. That's a really good answer. And I think it came to draw on a number of things that, um, I wasn't planning on touching on, but I think that makes a lot of sense, you know, being in the race and competing, um, and being strategic. So Mm -hmm. when you were saying that, um, it's actually funny because I feel like females and males, when you're just like in an open recreational race, like we would enter, you know, let's say a half marathon together. If I win the race for women, um, most likely there's going to be at least like six guys, usually like about at least six guys in front of me. Um, so usually there's someone there that I can see, I can use, um, in an open race like that. Whereas if you're a man, like, and you're going to win, I mean, just, I'm not saying that women can't win outright. I'm just saying like most of the times Mm -hmm. Jason's alone, like there's no one ahead of him. Like there's the bicycle, I guess. But I do think that, you know, it's more so on the men's side, this becomes important because for me, it's like, I can race with the guys that are around me. Um, and it's, it's just more of a deep field, if that makes sense. But for, from a male's perspective, um, it's better to like go into a race where there's going to be a lot of competitions for sure. Um, and the more people, the better. Um, you know, for me, if I go to a competitive race and it's competitive for Jason, it's even more competitive for me. There's even more people to run with. Like I benefit from it a lot also. Um, so it's always good to go where fast people are, I think, because you get the most out of yourself. Like you were saying, um, you know, heat sheets for the meet this weekend. 
came out and you're just like, you're here to run with the people around you and not in like the competitive sense, like I'm going to win, but just in the sense of like, you're using the people next to you to get the most out of you. Um, so if you go to a race alone, there's no one there that you can like have that teamwork and camaraderie with, like you're alone. So you don't have that teamwork aspect. And a lot of people don't understand like running can be a team sport and not even in the competitive sense. I ran, um, a 64 minute 10 mile this fall and I did win first female in that race, but there was a guy I literally ran the entire race next to. And it was like, we kind of took turns leading. Um, and I think when it comes down to how you approach racing on race day, it's super important. And I think what you were telling your athletes today was we're, we just want to win. But the reason I think you said that is because you want them to like use the people in the race. And so like, that doesn't mean go out and try to just lead the whole race because that's exhausting. And I think what people don't understand is there's a way to be tactical about um, racing. So, like, if you were talking to one of your athletes, like, how would you have them approach a race where you want them to win, but, you know, the competition is super fierce? Like, do you think just don't waste your energy, you know, like, in the beginning or what? So a little bit of context. This particular student um, or student athlete, he is – in the slow heat, but he's one of the fastest times in the slow heat. So, um, you know, I told him, I don't care about the time. I want you to go be competitive and hopefully come away with a win. And then what that does is over time, he starts to have confidence in himself. He starts to learn how to compete and put himself in position to be competitive on that last lap. Cause that's really what comes down to on a track race is the last lap and who's got the kick and who ran a smart race, who was conserving energy on those first few laps. So, um, cause thinking term you know, as the season goes on, I mean, we're early season right now, so times don't matter. It's more about getting the experience. As the season goes on, your times are going to start to improve because your fitness is going to improve as, as well as your, your competitive nature, your confidence. Um, and then when you get into a real race where there's, you know, let's say, let's say he's in a race with 10 guys and he's probably around eighth or ninth, he probably has no shot to win. But if he has a good competitive race and he reaches his potential, he could finish like sixth or fifth that day. So that's kind of like, how we approach it, thinking about each athlete. Um, and I know times and place, that's two different topics altogether when, when we talk about track. But when we're talking about road racing, I think the same concepts and principles can apply early season. Is just thinking about, you know, if your goal is really a 5K in mid- middle of the summer and you're running one in February, March, just go and run to your potential now. Go try to stick, to some, stick next to somebody who's going to help push you. Um, see if you can reel in the person who's right in front of you. Um, any little chance you can be competitive and worry less about the time, I think is going to help you in the long run. Right. And these are all like strategy tips, I think for racing, we've kind of covered before, but it's a good reminder because these are things that you can be doing that aren't necessarily training related. I know when I went to go run my first, um, BQ time, you know, I wanted to run between like 325 and 330. This was about six years ago when the standard was 335. I just, no, I was in about, you know, that 325 to 330 shape. Um, I started the race. I had a very specific plan that I was not going to run faster than eight-minute pace for the first, whatever, five miles. Um, and I remember when the gun went off, like, people went out hard, you know, and it's, it's so hard to not, um, to not like, get caught up in that and just sticking with your race plan, like, that you have planned out. And having that strategy behind your race, I think so often – 
I know so mm-hmm. often the gun goes off, people go out hard. I mean, we were just at a track meet. I, I witnessed it again. Um, it's just, it's crazy. So just being aware of yourself and what pace you're going out at, it's better to start the first, you know, 20 seconds of a race really slow than it is to go too fast because then before you know it, you know, you're, you're going anaerobic and you're three minutes into a marathon. So you don't want to go too fast. That's important. And sticking with your plan and being strategic about it. Um, so like I said, everyone went out really fast. And I remember the first 10 miles, all I did the whole, that marathon, it was a very small marathon. It was like pick off every single person except for, you know, two people. Um, but that just goes to show you like patience is very important. And this is a tip that's going to help you run your fastest race. Um, if you're someone, I mean, this is like a really broad topic is patience, right? If you're someone that's always like, oh, like I want to add in this race or I want to like try here and just you're always wanting to see results but you're not willing to like put in the work and like be patient um that's going to creep up and that's going to get you I think for running and reaching your potential you really have to have like the maturity to wait for your fitness to get there and to be consistent um I think a lot of times people think oh if I'm you know string together a month's work of workouts like I better see like these amazing results and I think there's a misconception out there that uh, that's gonna happen when really it's all about patience and Jason like who out of your athletes at the the college level like who do you see um have the best results um it what's like the number one thing that you you would see yeah I think the, obviously the kids that approach races who are more patient who don't go out hard um, that stay really consistent. So running consistent paces. And then, um, you know, I can almost predict going in the race, who's going to do what on race day based on how you train and how you practice. So all your workouts, you know, you should kind of train the same way. So again, with your tempo runs, and I know this gets into a topic we talked about a while back about, you know, not running your first rep too fast or your first increment or segment of your tempo run too fast. So making sure that you're pacing it, you're saving some for later, um, that gives you the confidence that you need and that translates over into racing. Right. Yeah. So patience is great. And I think that all stems back to, you know, we're looking at the calendar year. We're trying to find those goal races. We're trying to figure out which ones are going to be best. And, you know, that's going to be vary from person to person. We've already kind of given that topic of finding downhill races, finding super flat races, avoiding hilly races, right? Um, but another thing is looking for races that are a little bit more competitive. Like we don't necessarily want to have the uh like the competition not be there we want to have races where there's a lot of people you're gonna be able to bring out the best in you because there's competition there competition is a good thing you do not want to necessarily be the person that's gonna win the race by three minutes right like you want a lot of people to run with that's huge Another factor when you're looking at the race calendar and I think we kind of started talking about this when I asked I asked Jason like what marathon's better in the Minneapolis area, Grandma's or Twin Cities? And, you know, you're hesitant there because there's a couple things going on. And this is what we're going to talk about is the weather, right? So in 2016, I ran four marathons. The first three marathons, I did the LA Marathon, which was in February that year because of the Olympic trials. Um, so again, it was in Los Angeles, California, right? It's a hot area, Los Angeles. It should have just been obvious, right? 
Um, anyone who watched the 2016 Olympic trials marathon, they understand that it was a hot day. Um, you can see pictures, Google it. There's people, uh, Shalane Flanagan was foaming at the mouth of the finish line. A lot of people dropped out. It was scary. So we watched the Olympic trials the day before. Um, the weather was predicted similar for the next day. And it was just like, whoa, I'm, I'm not ready to run on a marathon in 70 degrees. The next marathon we ran was the Boston Marathon. Again, going into that race, when you sign up, you know it's a crab shoot for weather. Like, that's not guaranteed a good weather a day at all. I mean, every other year it's too hot. Then, what was the next one? Oh, (laughs) Grandma's Marathon, right? So traditionally, it's, it's not a traditional hot race. But here's the thing. The marathon is ran in the month of June. Late June. So it's ran on summer solstice, pretty much, you guys. Like... Mm -hmm. It's common sense. Like, if you sign up for a marathon in May, June, July, August, September, I don't care where it is, you are risking it being hot. Like, I mean, that, and the statement is, like, so, like, oh, my gosh, what? Like, but it's so true. If you sign up for a marathon anywhere in May, June, July, August, September, mm-hmm. it's, it, could be, it could be hot. Like, it could be really hot. I'm not talking about, like, oh, it could be like 50. No, it could be like 70 and 100% humidity. And so that's what you need to like be aware of um, when you're playing these races. Because I've been there where I'm like, oh, but the chance of it being hot isn't that great. And like I've banked on that enough times where I know that's not enough. Like if you if you put together a year of consistent training and you're like in shape and you're ready to go and then all of a sudden like you get to race day and like you see the forecast and you're like, holy crap, what? Like, 70 it 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 I can't even explain like how horrible it is um of course you can still run well like I still ran well I qualified for Boston at all of those races but I did not hit my goal and it was very difficult to take because I really wanted like a specific time goal and I wasn't able to hit it because you know grandma's marathon was the last one I did it ended at it's like 76 degrees. They actually like stopped the marathon. They had the black flag waving. Um, it was a horrible experience. So I think the biggest thing that you can do to avoid that, as much as it, it pains me to say, because I love Grandma's Marathon, do not run a race when it could be hot. If you're if trying you, to PR, yeah. You no, if your... if you want to be, if you want your like your fastest possible right. marathon time, right. and you don't want any uncontrollable factors. And this is my advice to you. Do not sign up for a marathon in any of those months. Um, Mm -hmm. Even October can be iffy. Someone, you know, I I was complaining a lot about my 2016 experience. I was like, meh. Every marathon I did this year, it was 70 degrees. And, like, you know, you just complain because you want people to sympathize with you. Like, of course. Like, that's horrible. How how terrible that it would be 70 degrees during a marathon you ran in June. And then someone was just like, you know what? Like... If you really don't want to run in the heat, why are you continually signing up for marathons when it could be hot? I was just like, whoa, like that's some honesty right there. So in the future, I was like, yeah, you know, if I really care about my time and I want to do everything possible I can to run my fastest time, I need to like find races where weather isn't going to be a factor. Because for me, it was it was enough where I was like, I don't want to do this again. I don't want to like ever have this happen. So I started only looking at races that were in the winter or late fall. So it was like the second half of October 
until the mid-February or early March. And it was only um, in, like, states that were north of, I don't know, like, Tennessee or something like I was just like this can't happen um and it's a little extreme you know what I mean but if you just want to remove that variable completely that's what I would recommend doing um there's quite a few marathons that are pretty fast during those times of year I think one of them specifically is like the Indy Monumental Marathon um I can guarantee you that that race will never be hot um just because it's in Indianapolis and it's in November. Um, anytime you're, you're going north of, you know, Ohio and it's end of October, it's, it's not going to be, uh, it's not going to be hot, but there are some people listening, you know, who live in Florida and like, they don't, you know, 60 degrees is good marathoning weather for them. Um, so it just depends on where you're coming from and kind of like what your background is and all that. Um, so Jason, like what are some ways that you would also recommend avoiding, you know, hot races or does it matter if it's a marathon versus a 5k? Um, and like, even for you for cross country, uh, you guys ran like in a blizzard. So cold weather also affects you. So how do you find like that perfect balance? Well, we, you know, we don't have much choice in, in the weekends. We're like, we're assigned to run certain meets, so we have to go there. But, um, I guess, for me, thinking about shorter races, the shorter the race, it's probably going to affect you a little bit less because you're, you know, you're running for a shorter period of time. Um, but you still want to look for pretty good weather. And I think, I think it can be 60 or it can be 70 and you can run a, you can run a PR in a 5k, you know, that's a lot different than, oh, yeah. than your marathon. Um, so pretty much any time this summer, you know, and my, you know, that one in July that I talked about earlier, there was about three, three years out of five where it was literally about 90 to a hundred degrees on those three years. Um, I personally still was able to run okay, like pretty good times, not like quite where I wanted to be, but I just noticed like, you know, in a 5k, it wouldn't affect me as much. Like if that race was a 10k or a 10 mile or half marathon, like I would have been, like I would have been screwed. So I think you can get away with a little bit if it's like 5k or less. Um, but I would still look for, you know, prime weather races, um, depending on the time of year and where you live. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think this has all been really valuable information. I think some people listening are going to be like, whoa, these are kind of extreme tips. But, you know, this is just my honest opinion on if you're trying to run like your fastest possible times and you really want to know like every little thing you can do to get that extra edge. By no means are we saying like you should follow these rules. Um, I think it's pretty restrictive to follow all of them, um, you know, limiting yourself a little bit. But I think finding that balance and understanding that, you know, your your best times are going to be ran on those fast courses or, you know, when the weather's well or good. Um, and, and then also a lot can be said about uncontrollable. So you can do all of these things. You can buy the shoes. You can do the downhill marathon. It can be perfect weather and you could still not run your goal time, um, <laughs> which, you know, that's another it factor. It happens, right? So you could do all of these things. You could, you know, tiptoe your way across the stage and just, I did everything I could. And then you get there and for some reason, like your body, it just doesn't work, even though you're in the best shape possible. So I don't want to like be so restrictive that I suck all the fun out for everyone. But these are just things to think about. Um, I think they are things maybe people undervalue or they they don't think are as important as they are um so yeah i hope this maybe opened opened the eyes of some people and maybe you can think about 
how you want to frame up your next year and pick the races that are going to give the fastest times for you if that's something that you're really looking forward to. And then, you know, obviously going back to the whole shoes and racing outfit thing, those things are really um, valuable also. And I don't think they take as much planning um, ahead of time. Uh, So I hope you enjoyed this. And if you have any questions about anything we talked about today or you just want to chat a little bit about uh, what you have planned for the year, we'd love to connect with you and have you start on a seven-day free trial with one of our coaches here at Run for PRs. You can fill out the form on our website, www.runforprs.co. Fill out the form on our website and we can chat with you soon. Thanks.